Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. Welcome back to the Law School Lounge, everybody. This is your host, Crystal Norton, and this is the fourth and final component of my discussion with the great Professor Tanya Monastir. In this final part, we discuss the infamous law school course outline. We talk about why outlining is important. We share some insight and tips about the outlining process. And overall, we just kind of talk about how daunting outlining might seem, but how important it really is come exam time. So I hope you enjoy our tips. If you didn't already, please go back and listen to the first three episodes where we talk about being first-gen students, we cover note-taking, and we talk Socratic method. But if you're ready, let's dive in. All right, let's switch gears and go to our last and final, but by far not least important question, which is what is outlining and is it overhyped in law school? Any initial thoughts you'd like to share? I have a lot of thoughts on outlining. (laughs) I think outlining is the most important part of the process because it's taking all the raw materials that you have memorialized in your notes and converting them to something workable that you can study from. And so without a quote unquote good outline, you won't be learning the right things. You won't be able to, you know, answer questions on an exam in an adequate manner. And so it really is creating your study tool. And, you know, what an outline is, in Canada, we actually don't call them outlines, we call them summaries, which I think is actually a better term, because an outline conjures this idea of it being hyper bulleted and sort of like a skeleton. And I don't think that's what it should be. It should be a summary of everything in the course in an organized, cohesive, coherent framework. And um, so I think if you shift from this idea of an outline, like a point form thing into a summary of the material, I think that's like a, a better way of explaining what it is. It is your Bible, so to speak. Um, after you have created your outline, that should be the only thing you need to study from. You should never have to go back to your raw notes. You should never have to go back to your textbook, to a study aid, none of that stuff. It's literally the document you'll take with you into your room, into your cubicle and repeat, memorize over and over again. Um, so that's, that's what it is. It's the tool that you're going to study from in terms of what it looks like. Um, I think people have very different views of what goes in an outline and what it should look like. And so my view is consistent with my view of note-taking, right? Like I think note-taking should be comprehensive. I think your outline slash summary should be comprehensive. It should contain 
everything you need to know about the course organized in a way that makes sense to you and that is going to be easy for you to remember when you go to memorize it. Yeah. And how would you say outlines differ from maybe notes you would have taken in undergrad? Well, notes just follow along chronologically with what's happening in class. And so, you know, you can go from one topic to a digression of another topic back to the first topic. And, you know, so it's sort of all over the place. Um, a A very cleaned up version of your notes is what I think an outline is. You basically use chunks of information, right? So, you know, you'll have your topic, whatever it is, like misrepresentation. That, that's what this section of the outline is going to be on. And then you'll have like a definition section. You'll have a section on the different ways that this might present itself. You have, you know, exceptions or traps to look for. So you, you compartmentalize different things, but you put it together in a way that is systematic, where from beginning to end, it makes sense. And that's going to mean that you deviate from the order that it was presented in class, right? So the professor presents things in class in a way that makes sense for a class, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the exact same order in your outline. So you might take all the examples that the professor gives you in class and then put them kind of at the end of the misrepresentation section. Or if they illustrate a specific point, like you know, what's the difference between misrepresentation and non-disclosure? And that needs to appear kind of as part of the discussion. Maybe you put that in the middle. But, you know, the bottom line is you need to be deliberate about how you are putting information in there. And you're putting it in there in a way where it's all there. You're not missing anything. You've got complete explanations. You've got complete definitions because you can't just have a couple of words, right? Um, and that I think that's the problem, right? Outlining has become about taking notes, which are comprehensive and making them small. And I'm like, no, no, don't make them small, make them large, right? Like your definitions should be a complete definition, just like you would give on the exam. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't give an abbreviated definition. If you do, you're not going to get full points, right? So you need the full, like, you know, misrepresentation is a misstatement of existing fact. There are four different elements that you need to establish, blah, blah, blah. Like it all needs to be there um, in order to be able to learn it, memorize it, and give it back to the professor on the exam. So the goal should not be to truncate. The goal should be to have everything written out in a fulsome way, complete with exceptions, elaborations, examples, hypotheticals, in in a way that makes sense. Things are where they belong. And so the way that I describe it in the book is like you're organizing your closet, right? There has to be some method to organizing your closet. And there's a difference between a tidy closet and an organized closet. So a tidy closet is something where things are like, you know, um, they're folded and they're on hangers and there's no clutter around, but that doesn't mean it's organized because your shorts could be next to your sweatpants, could be next to your shoes, right? And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And so an organized closet has like purpose, right? So your dresses are in one spot or your suits are in another spot and your t-shirts are all piled in the same section. Like 
you put like things together. And then within that, you might have sub-organization. So maybe there's certain things that are done by color or by season. And, you know, the, the point is of, of this um, uh, analogy is to kind of illustrate the difference between tidy and organized. And many students, when they're crafting their outline, they're doing tidy. They're not doing organized because organized is hard because organized requires you to step back and really see how things fit together and where they belong as opposed to just like, oh, I'll, you know, put a capital letter at the beginning of this and then I'll end it with a period and I'll highlight it. Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. maybe tidy, but it's not organized. And um, it's hard, right? Because when you leave class and and you go to do your outline, which I think should be done every night. So we'll we'll put that on the back burner, but I strongly <laughs> believe your outline has to be done every yeah, night. I know you have strong feelings about that for Very sure. <laughs> um it's it's hard because you're gonna read like sentences and and examples and you're not even gonna know like wait was this 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 thing or this other thing she was talking about I don't I don't even know and you need to track down the answer. You cannot let anything go. When you are transposing your notes from note form to outline form, everything has to be correct. If you have any doubts that something you're writing in your outline um, is correct, like you can't leave it that way. You need to go to the professor. You need to go to the textbook. You need to go. You need to figure it out where basically if someone asked you to swear, this is a hundred percent correct in your opinion, like that's where you need to be. And I think most students don't get there. They're like, yeah, I think this is right. Like good enough. I'll track it down come exam time. It's too late. Right. And so if there's any questions as to whether something you're putting in your outline is in the right place, is correct in terms of the law, is comprehensive or is missing something, like that needs to be addressed right then and there. And, you know, outlining is hard. And I remember doing it and feeling like so confused because you just sat through this hour and 15 minute class. Maybe it's even longer. In some cases, some of my classes are like two and a half hours. And the volume of information is like, gargantuan. You've covered like three or four topics and they're all beginning to meld together. And, you know, it's hard to sift through that after the fact and really be sure that you're putting things where they belong and that everything is is accurately captured and, and memorialized. And, you know, there have been tears. I When, when I was a law <laughs> student, I was outlining, I was like, I was in tears sometimes, like, this is so hard, I don't understand. And you go back to the, the case, you go back to the textbook and you try to like sort it out yourself. And, you know, however you're going to sort it out, whether it's going back yourself or using, um, you know, there's so many resources out there, some sort of study aid or, um, some online resource or going to the professor, going to TA. There's like so much to help you that honestly, if you don't take advantage of that, that's on you, right? That's your fault because back in the day, like there was none of this. We didn't have study aids. We didn't have professors who had office hours. We didn't have TAs. There's like none of that. And so the fact that you have all these resources to help you make sure that you're on track. And if you don't take advantage of them, like there's, there's not much I can say about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing, cause right. You start law school and there are outlines out there. Yes. Right. Whether it's 
published outlines in a book or there are upperclassmen who want to share outlines or your TA has an outline or something. And I remember looking at them at the beginning of law school and thinking, wow, this is so helpful. This is so good. What a great outline. Yeah. And then getting to the end of my first semester of 1L year and looking back at that same outline being like, this is not very good. Right. Right. And, and it's because you, once there's like this phase you go through where you realize what the purpose of the outline actually Mm -hmm. is. So in my experience in undergrad, you took notes and you had a whole bunch of stuff that you had to memorize to regurgitate back on an exam. And I'll pull in one of my other career paths post law school, which is I did instructional design. (laughs) And so uh, I hung out with Bloom's taxonomy a lot. (laughs) And I felt like undergrad was kind of the bottom of the Bloom's taxonomy period, uh, pyramid, right? So you're retaining information, regurgitating it back, maybe a little bit of analysis. But when you get to law school, it's not just knowing the information, it's understanding how all the information comes together and relates to one another and how you can then use that information in a different context, mm-hmm. right? And so your outline is not a tool just to memorize the core principles. Your outline is a tool to memorize how things relate to one another and how you are going to walk through some kind of analysis. Right. And once you kind of, that that should click at some point, right? And once that happens and you look at other outlines, you realize those outlines that other people did might not work for, they might be great outlines, but they just don't work for you because it's not necessarily how you see the information relating to one another or how they might also be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and you don't know as a 1L, you don't know. The no, difference. you not know the difference. Like half no. the information in there could be wrong. So like, I think fundamentally for me, it's just this, I don't trust anybody else. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail on my own merits and not because somebody <laughs> else gave me the wrong information, right? No, it's true. Yeah. Like imagine not doing well in law school because somebody else put down incorrect information. Like it'd be bad enough if you did it yourself, right? Right. No, it's true. And I always, I, I was always scared for my friends who used other people's outlines <laughs> uh, because just through the process of outlining, you learn so much. It's just, that's the thing. It's not just putting a document together. It's a process. Right. Outlining the course and or summarizing it, as you, mm-hmm. as you said, is a process. And it's, it's a tool to learn, not just to memorize. And I think once that kind of sets in, you realize, okay, it is not overhyped. Uh, and I cannot just use other people's materials. I do need to make my own. And I need to figure out what, is helpful for me when I make my own, right? In your book, you do a really good job of just kind of putting it right to the point on what an outline is in its basic terms. A good outline is simply one that contains all the relevant information and is organized in a way that you understand it and can study from it when it comes time for the exam. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. But (laughs) it seems like when you get into law school, it's shrouded in mystery. It is. And there's like a black market for outlines. And it's like, it's really crazy. Right. And, you know, I, 
I remember thinking too, when people would give me an outline, like you're just giving this away. And then once I started making my own outlines, I was like, yeah, I'll give you my outline. It's not going to do anything for you. Right. And that's kind of this thought that, that thought pattern that changes as, as you go through the outlining process, that it's just, it's very much there to help you as a tool. Yeah. Um, You know, here's, here's the thing about outlines. Like I, I'm realistic and I, I will admit that if you get a good outline, good in, in quotes, like, cause there's really no absolute good outline, but sure. you could do well. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I've had people use my old outlines and get the highest grade in the class. Right. So it is possible. And so I understand why people are on this, like, holy grail experience looking for these like magical outlines. Um, But I think you're shortchanging yourself, right? Because more often than not, you know, if you get someone else's outline, you're going to end up with a B or lower, right? So if that's okay, if like, you're just, I mean, there are students who just want to get through law school, right? And they're going to look for shortcuts and nothing that I'm going to say is going to change their mind. And those students, um, you know, get an outline, do what you want to do. For those students who want to get A's, right, to graduate near the top of their class, like, you need to do your own outline. There's no way around it. I've never seen a student graduate at the top of the class that didn't do their own outlines. And so if you're that kind of student, you're doing your own outline. And in addition to being a means to an end, right, the end being good grades, I do think there's another valuable skill that students don't realize outlining does. And I discovered this almost, I think, by accident. There was there was one semester where, you know, bar passage rates had really plummeted. It was, they were disastrous, and I felt like I needed to do something. Um, and so I implemented this assessment technique, which I called option two. So it was an option. They didn't have to do it, but most of the class did, where they handed in their outlines every week. And um, I would comment on them or my research assistants would comment on them. Like every week we would mark them up and outline like a red line, I should say, um, what they were doing wrong. And man, the students hated it, right? Like they were so, <laughs> so angry, much like they revolted. It, they were just like so upset with the process of handing this in every week and then getting back a whole bunch of red. Like this is in the wrong place. Why is this floating in the middle? Why is this not right justified? And um, at the beginning, they just felt like you're being picky about formatting or who cares where things go. And like, there was a lot of antagonism. And uh, like halfway through the semester, I was like, why did I do this to myself? (laughs) Um, By the end of the year and certainly into the next year, there was like this whole newfound appreciation for the skills that they learned. They finally understood that the outline that that what they learned through this outlining process was not just how to put a law school outline together. It was how to take information, a lot of information that was coming at them and organizing it in a systematic way that made sense. And they went into their summer jobs and I got emails that summer about how they were the only student that, you know, took all the information they were given in the case file and they put it together in an outline form and they gave it back to the partners and everyone was marveling at how organized they were. And they were so proud of themselves for having developed this skill Um, because it is a skill, right? And like being, 
guided through to show them what they were doing wrong and how you can't have the exceptions just randomly at the end. Like the exceptions go with the rule. And why aren't you describing this more? And you won't remember this later. And so after, you know, a semester of harping on them for that. They created the best set of outlines I'd ever seen. Wow. And, you know, they're they're so proud of those outlines. The performance of the class was so much better than any other year. But I think the skills that they took away from, from that semester were just beyond the outlining for contracts too, right? Sure. It was really how to take so much information, which is what you're going to get in law practice. And to have a method for dealing with that information, right? And like, we call it outlining in law school, but really like, it's what you're going to do throughout your legal career, take gobs and gobs of information and try to make it presentable. Like if you've got an opening argument, you can't just throw everything at the jury, like it has to have a beginning, middle and an end, right? And that, that takes some thinking and some skill, how to present things in that way. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, an ideal scenario is where you're able to clearly, whether it's in writing or orally, make a coherent argument. And your outline right. walks you through the steps on how to do that. It's basically your roadmap or your go-by on how to do that, whether that's on an exam or outside of a classroom. And I think, you know, you mentioned the bar exam. And... <laughs> Outlining is a great skill for the bar exam, right? A lot of the materials you get, right? A lot of people take Barbary or Themis or whatever bar prep course they take if they take one or they take one through their school, depending on where you're at. And a lot of it is in outline format. That's how a lot of the information is conveyed. And the reality is you can go through law school, but if you don't pass a bar exam and you're intent on practicing in some way, you're going to have a problem. Um, and so I think there is this thought about outlining that its only purpose is to get me through my exams and then get me through right. the bar exam. And then I'm never going to have to think about it again. <laughs> and uh, we're here to tell you that that is not true. I've outlined many a brief. I've outlined many of a court document. You outline, I've outlined my arguments. I've outlined, you know, you outline consistently throughout. Of course, those outlines look a little bit different, right? but the structure and the relationships and the skills you use to make your outlines in law school are transferable beyond the exams in law school and the bar exam. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I wrote this book, it's 350 pages and there's like so much in there and I needed to figure out like, where are things going to go? Where do I put things? Right. Mm -hmm. And there was method to my madness and things were in a different order before and I moved them around and then I had to figure out like what my subtopics were and where things were a natural fit. That is like what you're doing outlining. Like if you look at my table of contents, you'll be like, oh yeah, this all makes sense. As though it were somehow like magically (laughs) self-evident that, you know, money matters goes under practical law school advice or whatever it was. I don't even know where it is. But um, all of that was deliberate and took some thinking and took putting myself in the position of a reader to say like, when do I think this information makes the most sense and where does it make the most sense? And so, you know, we talk, like, like you said, we talk about outlining as though it's a one and done thing that you only do in law school, but outlining is really just organizing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a skill that is lifelong and 
the better lawyers are better at it than, you know, than other people. And so being able to be clear, concise, get your point across, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, really important skill as, as a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it never hurts just in life in general, but yeah, particularly, right. I mean, uh, but I look back at outlining, I was like, man, that's painful, but it was painful. I mean, I wouldn't say I will say law practice is much more fun than outlining for your, your law school classes. Um, but yeah, outlining is painful, but it isn't meant to be fun. It's meant to learning. I think you say this in your book, right? Like learning is a little painful and it kind of should be right. And yeah, outlining if it doesn't involve struggle, you're doing something wrong. Absolutely. Like if there are no tears involved anywhere in your law school <laughs> journey, like you definitely done law school wrong, <laughs> but no, like learning is a struggle. If it's easy, like you're missing something like absolute. Yeah. Um, and yeah, outlining is painful, but that's because like you're forcing your brain to think about things, right? And there's more interesting things out there. There's TikTok and there's like TV and there's, you know, the friends. And so sitting down to figure out like where consequential damages go in your outline and, uh, you know, what they are and the Venn diagram that should go along with that. That's like, it's boring and hard and hurts your head. So you can understand why people don't want to do it and why they want to get someone else's outline. But you will not get top grades that way. Absolutely. Um, And you will be depriving yourself of an opportunity to be learning things you need to know how to do eventually, right? Yeah. And (laughs) I will, here's a question that I, I really have that I'd be interested to get your take on. So, and you talk about it a little bit in your book as well, but one thing that threw me for a loop in law school was how much I had to look for information to put into my outline. Mm-hmm. And at the time when I was in law school, I felt as if to some degree that was some sort of failing, right? Whether it was the professor or the book or something. But the reality is you only have so much time to go in from over information as a professor in class. And there's only so much you can cover, particularly if you're also doing things like the Socratic method, because that limits your lecture time mm-hmm. quite significantly. Right? right. And so the whole idea of having to go outside of just my, what my professor said and the book in front of me to learn yeah. was a really big change for me in in my mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of change becomes really apparent when you start outlining, right? Because as you're trying to make those connections between ideas and how to do an analysis, you're like, well, my professor really didn't talk about this that much. And it's not because necessarily they didn't want to, they just Mm -hmm. maybe didn't necessarily have the time to. And you know that because they'll say things like, this is really important. Um, you know, definitely work through this. If you have questions, come and talk to me or whatever the case may be. It wasn't just handed to you, Mm -hmm. I guess is my point, right? Like in undergrad, things tend to be like, here's all the information you need and this will be on the exam. Whereas law school, things that are even just touched upon briefly need to go in your outline and need to be something you understand. And if your teacher didn't lecture on it as mm-hmm. much as you would have needed them to, that doesn't mean you don't get to know it. Right? Yeah. You have to yeah. It. And this is an example where everyone is different, right? And so, like, generally in my classes, like, 
everything you'll need to know for the exam we have talked about, right? And so I don't think there's much having to go look for stuff unless I've said like, go look on page 77. There's a list of 10 factors you need in your notes. Like I will explicitly tell you that. But, you know, I I have heard where other professors maybe spend a lot of time on other things, whether it's hypotheticals or telling their own stories, right? Or um, answering student questions in class. And so then you don't get to some of the core material. And then they say, well, you're responsible for understanding causation. And so be sure to like, you know, figure that out yourself. And, you know, that that's tough. And I feel like I, do, I don't know that students should have to teach themselves the material. And so uh, maybe something went wrong in those classes. If it's like a one-off where it happens occasionally, then I understand. But if it's basically par for the course that you have to go back and teach yourself, you know, that's that's unfortunate. Sure. And I mean, um, I think there's yeah. a difference between covering something and covering it as much as you want to. And, you know, you also have this problem with uh, thinking you need to know things you don't need to know all of my professors, I would say, are, we're very good at being like, you need to know A, you don't need to know B. Yeah. But not all professors do that, right? You So then you have this question of like, should this go in the outline or should it not go in the outline? Do I need to know it? Do I not need to know it? Mm-hmm. And so how would you recommend maybe that students deal with that kind of feeling or uncertainty? Yeah. I mean, I think your starting point should be the assumption that you're working from your class notes in building the outline and where there are gaps in terms of either you didn't understand what was happening in class or the professor said, like, I don't have time to finish this. So just, you know, take a look at whatever, like you need to then track down that other material. Um, If you're not sure if something is said in class, I would assume it's being, it's testable. It's fair game. Purposefully said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's said in class, I would, it would go in my outline. If there's something that the professor just very casually mentioned that then has an analog in the book and you can like go look at the 10 pages on that and you're not sure whether you need to, I think just asking them whether this is something we need to know. I think that's a, that's a fair question. Um, but I think just starting from the assumption that your class notes in most cases will be 80 to 90% of what is in your outline and don't be going to the book and pulling like footnote five from the case. And don't be looking at note 10 if she never, or he never discussed it in class. Like there's so much stuff that could clutter your outline with stuff you don't need. Don't go to supplementary sources and add um, a whole bunch of stuff that the professor didn't talk about, right? Because it's under the rubric of like frustration of purpose. And so you're like, I'll add this too. Like, no, if your professor didn't talk about it, don't add it. So you've got right. plenty to work with without creating and adding things to your outline. But your point is well taken that every class is going to be different and every professor is going to be different. And some classes are more self-taught. I've heard that from students over the years and you know, uh, there, there are professors like me where I feel like I give students what they need to know. And there's, there's professors who I guess make students work harder for that, or maybe they see that as part of, um, you know, what they're trying to do to get students to figure it out on their own. I don't know, but those professors definitely exist. And that makes the outlining process harder, right? Because you're not going to get most of what you need from maybe your class notes. So you're like digging around trying to make sure 
you have what you need. But at the end of the day, I would say, remember this, you're going to be tested on the law, right? So think about the doctrinal topics that you've covered. So if it's in torts, you know, you're going to need to know intentional torts, you're going to need to know negligence, you're going to need to know damages. And so like the big topics, you're going to need to know. And so the fact that the professor for half a class rambled on about the one time that he litigated a case, and there was an issue of blah, 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 like some professors do that. And that's how they waste their time, right? Um, Like that's going to be meaningless. You're going to need to go to your book to find out what you know, you should have covered in that class. Yeah. And then if you still can't understand, then I think it's perfectly reasonable to, um, you know, first try to figure out stuff on your own. I think that's an important piece of this, the self-sufficiency piece. You don't want to be the student who every class is like, professor, I have some questions, right? Like Mm -hmm. the professor is not your personal tutor. We're certainly there to help, but like you also need to do the work because there won't be a professor there in practice to answer your every question, right? And so when you've tried and you still can't figure it out and things are confusing, then go to the professor, but be judicious about how you use that time. Sure. And how would you, I know you talk about this when we talk about notes, like examples, right? Mm -hmm. And some professors are more generous with giving examples than others. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, correct me if I'm wrong, but Pretty much all professors, if, whether at the library or through their own means, have old exams on file, which I think are always mm-hmm. a good way to get examples of some kind. But how would you use examples in an outline? And do you think that they're important? Yeah, I think examples for everything is really important because it helps concretize the, the concepts that you've talked about. And the examples should be either examples from class and or examples that are just relatable to you, right? It doesn't have to be the example that the professor gave about, you know, the seller backing out of the transaction and the buyer suing for it. Like, it doesn't have to be that example. It could be an example from your life to use examples from your own personal experience is really, really helpful. And so um, oftentimes when a student doesn't understand something, you know, they'll come to my office and I'll ask them like, oh, do you have any hobbies? Or I try to find something that's interesting to them. So I had this one student who collected frogs, collected poisonous frogs and poisonous plants. Yeah. I love it. He's an interesting character. And so we developed this whole um, example based on his like collecting poison dart frogs. And so I asked him like, if you bought a poison dart frog, but you hadn't picked it up from the seller yet, and then they backed out, like, what would you do? Like concretely, what would you do? He's like, well, I guess I'd find like another frog. Right. And I'm like, well, how much would the first seller owe you? And he's like, well, I guess it depends on how much the second frog cost. Like, you know, so we talked through it with something that he understood and All I was doing was explaining to him um, damages in a sale of goods contract, cover damages. But when you call them cover damages and you use widgets, it just sounds scary, right? (laughs) But when you use frogs, um, something somebody can relate to, then... um, then all of a sudden it, it like, it makes sense. And so I, I always tell students like, find something that resonates with 
with you, right? Um, one person, one student to- told me she uses like purses in her examples, <laughs> right? Another student was talking about like an influencer and how if an influencer broke the contract, then blah, blah, blah. And like, so whatever works, it doesn't really matter what the specifics are as long as the example illustrates the concept that you're covering. That's all that matters, right? Like anything that gets the material to be sticky in your head, that that's golden. That's what you're looking for. And so like create your own examples um, and just have it be something that resonates with you. So you will remember what cover damages are because of the fraud, right? Last question, because I think this one is a big one and it's one you talk a lot about in your book. Okay. The flashcards. Oh, yeah. So I have strong feelings about this. Well, you know, I we talked a little bit about how note taking and and outlining looks different in law school than you might have seen it in other programs or in undergrad. And you know, one thing that tends to happen is because people are familiar with flashcards, if they've used them in their undergrad or another program, they feel that that's an okay substitute for an outline. And I know you okay. have thoughts about this. Oh, I do. I have strong <laughs> feelings about flashcards. Well, please share. Um, yes. So I feel like the amount of time and effort it takes to make flashcards are absolutely not worth it. Time is at a premium in law school. And when you get close to your exam um, session, you're probably going to have like maybe a week or two and like you don't have time to spend three or four days writing out flashcards. Like that is so much time. I can't even process the amount of wasted time because the act of writing out something in your outline on a flashcard in and of itself is really not going to do anything for the the encoding, right? It's not going to, people think it helps like marginally, but it's not memorization. It's just writing. And you usually do it while you're doing other things, watching TV. So you're just going to fritter away days that could have been spent studying. And so, you know, I, I think that that's way too much time to waste. It's just, it's not worth it. And it like, it doesn't make sense to me. So let's say you have, it's going to scare people a hundred page outline. Okay. (laughs) Cause I think that's like a typical length of an outline that I would do. Um, how long is it going to take you to write all that information on flashcards? It's going to take forever to then have the exact same information you had on paper on little paper. Like I I just don't understand how little paper is more helpful. And so if you think little paper is more helpful for whatever reason, like my solution, and I meant this jokingly, but kind of seriously is just put extra spaces in your outline and then like take scissors and cut your outline into flashcards. Like if if you really need flashcards, just take your outline and like cut it up, cut your hundred pages up. They'll be all sort of uneven, but like, so be it, right? If, If you really need flashcards, but like what I'm suggesting is doing a variation of flashcards without the small pieces of paper. Cause what I'm saying is when you go to memorize the material, take a chunk of material 
cover it up with your hands, close your eyes, whatever it is you need to do. And then like test yourself, like consideration has two different views. It's, you know, a benefit detriment, blah, blah, blah. Like say whatever you, you need to say about the topic and then look and make sure you've got everything. And then once you've got everything, move on to the next piece, right? And then memorize that, say it out loud, write it out, whatever you want to do, and then move on to the next. And then gradually go back and keep on touching on all the concepts that you've learned. And so like, you don't need a piece of paper to be like flipping through flashcards to do that. All you need is your outline and you just cover up the the portions that you're going to be like learning. And then you look at it just like you would look at the back of a flashcard or I don't know I never use flashcards like <laughs> you you look at it once you're done like reciting it to see if you got it all right and if you didn't get it right do it again right before you move on to the next piece but the process of writing flashcards is not going to be particularly helpful not com- not compared to the actual sitting down hunkering down and memorizing and the amount of time wasted is just time you, you don't have. So I don't know that they're inherently like bad. I just think it's a waste of time when you absolutely don't have time and you just spent all semester creating an outline. So now you're going to ignore your outline to create essentially kind of another version of an outline. Does that make sense? It does. No, and what I thought about in my head when you were talking about it is that so I'd write my notes to type them into an outline to write them again. Right. <laughs> flashcards, right? Yeah. Which sounds absolutely terrible. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Not only would that, you know, not be a good use of my time, it yeah. just sounds awful to do. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think there is to some degree with flashcards anyway, this ability to study with other people, which I know you Ooh, talk about, <laughs> but that right way like flashcards, you can use them and quiz each other and, and test one another or whatever. And I think that that's part of their appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm okay. Like I don't need to hang out with people all the time. I'm what you probably would call an introvert, yeah. but there are those extroverts out there who like to do that. And so, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think that matters? I know that you talk about Yeah, I think it's a terrible idea. I think like studying <laughs> needs to be absolutely solitary, right? Like, so maybe you can do 10% of your studying in a group and 90% alone. Like studying needs to be like by yourself, boring and hard, right? Like if, if it's not those things, you're not doing it right. If you're having fun, you're not studying, right? And so, um, if, if the flashcards are because people prefer to study in groups, what they're doing in the group is not, is not what I call studying, right? And so my view of what studying is, is not what's happening, right? Those group sessions are just like group sessions. To me, that's not like no memorization happens there. No real like deep learning happens there. I think you can have sessions to just make sure that, um, there's there's no um, kind of like missing links or that no one's confused about things, just kind of like buttoning up your studying. Um, but I mean, it's it's more of a cleanup thing than it is a let's all get together and test each other. That That's just, again, that's sort of a, a waste of time that you don't have. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think 
you know, I thought about it in the sense of, I didn't want to do anything with a study group until I had already memorized the material. And if flashcards are there to help me memorize, then I should go back to my outline and memorize, then meet with a group to maybe walk through hypotheticals or just talk through things that I'm not entirely sure about or Or to verify. Yeah. Like this is how I understand the parole evidence rule. Are you guys tracking the same way or is there something I'm missing? Yeah. But that's like after you have all individually studied, right? Exactly. It doesn't work when people are using the group to try to learn because you can't. Yeah, no. Outlining is the way to go. Flashcards, I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm trying to think if I can remember anyone who really used flashcards when I was in law school. I don't think many people did. I mean, we did maybe occasionally when it came to like rules of yeah. law. Right. Like I mean, just- there's nothing like inherently bad or wrong with flashcards. It's just like I'm realistic that there are 24 hours in a day and you have four courses a semester plus oftentimes legal writing, plus like you're trying to sleep and maybe have a life. Like I don't know where you're gonna get time for flashcards, right? And so yeah. like just like in the ideal world, you would be fully prepared for the Socratic method and you would give this like eloquent, perfect um answer every time. Like it just, the reality is things have to give. And so as a student, you have to be comfortable with that. And so if that means you don't read the case three times because you, you know, you need to work on outlining after class, you need to make that time for outlining. So, so you need to like carve out hours from somewhere else. And so I just feel like the, the writing out flashcards is going to suck days and days out of your life that you don't have. Yeah. No. And I think that's fair. I think mostly I think flashcards tend to be used because that's what people know and that's what people feel comfortable with. And I do think there's a level of security blanket and kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And you know, the outline seems weird and I don't get it, but flashcards have always worked before. So I'm going to use them again. And, and, you know, I understand that train of thought, especially in a time where everything feels different and everything's kind of changing, but I do think there are more effective methods and time efficient methods to studying the material muscle. Cause it is a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. It's yeah. A lot of and when you think about what a flashcard is, it's just a little baby piece of paper. Like you already <laughs> have the piece of paper. I mean, it really is like when you think about it, it is a little silly to have the paper on a big piece of or the information on a big piece of paper and you somehow feel like it needs to be little to get it, you know? Yeah. Well, when you said cut up your outline, I was like, man, I wish I would have thought of that. That's a really <laughs> <laughs> because like things like that just you they don't come to you in the moment, but I was like, that's a really I could have done that. Yeah. Yeah, you I, well, because like, I, I did the cover method, which, yep. you, you know, you but but sometimes I'd want to like, you know, at least if they're cut up, it's easier to I can't like peek um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, if there's certain things like you want to write down the seven elements of something and you think that would be helpful, like maybe. But like in terms of taking your giant outline and having like the stack of flashcards for each subject, I, I don't know that it's worth it. And like. You know, this is an example of don't do things just because other people are doing them or because you feel like it's your security blanket. It's how you did it before. Right. Really just I mean, and I don't care. Like, I don't care if a student doesn't outline, does outline, takes a lot of notes, doesn't take notes, like whatever they want to do. I think as long as they have made the decision 
thoughtfully and after considering all the information and they feel comfortable with the decision they've made, then I say like, great, then you're going to own it. And if it doesn't work for you, then reevaluate. But I think, you know, for me, the bigger problem comes when people just get caught up in what other people are doing or what professors are recommending because professors are viewed as like authority figures. And so I don't want somebody to do something because I told them to, because I, I try not to tell them to, I just say like, this is, these are my thoughts and this is why, but like you do you and, you know, and then, and then you own it, right? Like, don't just go along for the ride. Um, you're, you're growing up now, you make decisions about your future and how you want to prepare for your future. Um, get the lay of the land, get the information and then choose. Right. And, uh, you know, it feels scary, but at the end of the day, you're in law school, you're going to be a lawyer. Um, you know, your success or failure is going to rise on or fall on you. Yeah, no, <laughs> it made me chuckle a little bit. Cause I was like, well, I guess that's where we can end this discussion because that was the most lawyerly assessment. I think I've I've ever heard of anything. You were like, you got to take the pros and, oh, the right. and really analyze them and reach a conclusion and right. decide if you're going to stick with that argument or not. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, that's exactly, you know, it, it kind of comes full circle. Yeah. Absolutely. But is there any last things that you wanted to mention about outlining or anything else? Oh, I, I wanted to mention that you have to do it every night. And this is the most important thing, right? Um, because of that forgetting curve that I mentioned earlier, you you're going to forget, even if it's on paper, you're really not going to understand exactly what you wrote and what it means the next day. And so if you're not like hands-on and you're not like working on that outline the day of, by the next day, you're going to lose quite a bit of that information. By the end of the week, you might as well just forget about it. Right. And so this idea of waiting until the end of a chapter or the end of a month or whatever, or the end of the semester, God forbid to outline it. I think that's a terrible idea idea because what we know about memory is basically it's all like it's all going to be dissipated and even if you have it on paper you almost have to recreate it because the actual memories that go along with what you've written are not going to be there well and what would you say to students who maybe find themselves in circumstances where time is very tight right how Mm. would you recommend prioritizing outlining over anything else you have to do in a given day? Yeah, I would say that the reading and preparing for class then needs to give, right? And if that means you're a little bit more uncomfortable in terms of being scared of the Socratic method, then then that's what it means, right? And if it means that you don't take copious notes on the readings and instead you're just underlining or writing in the margins, that's what I would do. I think the pre-class work is there to get you ready to understand what's going on in class. Class should be focused on like just getting everything down on paper. And after class is the most important time where you consolidate all of that. So if I, if something had to give, it has to be before class on the assumption that there's more value um, to be had after class when you've heard things Um, explained by the professor when you have notes in front of you. And you can always at that point go back. And if you feel like you didn't read the case carefully enough and you felt confused even after class, you can, you can go back. But, you know, um, in terms of proportion of time, I would say 
you know, it needs to be backloaded, right? So okay. 3070 or whatever, 4060. Um, I, I wouldn't even say 5050. I just think that the the amount of time you spend on prepping for class is is not as valuable as the time that you spend after class. And there's only going to be so much that you can absorb on your own as a one. Like, you know, don't try to go for a hundred percent. Like if you understood 60, like you're golden, like that's, that's probably where everyone else is. So don't be aiming to be an overachiever before class. (laughs) After class is where you want to be. After class is the time, right? My dad has an expression, mathematics is not an opinion. And so you have 24 hours in the day, you take time for sleeping. Like you're just not going to have the time to be the perfect student in class, the student you want to be, and also do really well on the exam. You're not. Yeah, and I mean, that only becomes more like, you know, part, if you're in a part-time program and you have a full-time job or you have any other obligations outside of the classroom, then those decisions become even more critical. So thank you so much for sharing that because I think that's the real advice a lot of students need to hear. Yeah, (laughs) I do. Well, I've said it a million times and no no one listens to me. They're all just like terrified of the Socratic methods. They're like, I spent five hours reading for contracts, but I'm like, but I told you not to. Well, what did they say? Hindsight's always 20-20, right? (laughs) I'm sure all of your students yeah, are like, oh, yeah. I should have really listened to that. So hopefully we'll reach it, some folks with this. Yeah, and- yeah. In retrospect, you know, sometimes like one else students as they're starting out are, are just not the best judge of what needs to be done. And so it's funny you should say that because I got an email from a student um, last night who sort of tried my methods for a semester, but I don't think fully bought into it because you know like first semester you just you don't know what's going on and you feel like this advice is different than other advice you're getting and you know and so he he approached me early second semester and said I'm really going to try to implement this advice more like um, wholeheartedly this semester and so he just emailed me yesterday and said he got you know two two A's and an A minus and he was like so happy and you know, he's attributing it to the methods in the book. I don't, I don't know that that's true. You know, he, he obviously um, did really well this semester, but, you know, I was happy to hear that he was like, he thought about his future. He thought about like what he wanted to do and he did it. Right. And uh, like, and he got the results he wanted. No, that's incredible. And that's all you can hope for when you're sharing all of this information like this. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and for all of your wonderful insights and your amazing book that I wish I would have had as a first-gen student who is heading to law school. And that concludes our time, at least for now, with Professor Tanya Monastir. We hope that you found our discussion about outlining and best practices for outlining helpful for when that time comes, you are preparing for law school exams. Please don't forget to check out Tanya's book, Shit No One Tells You About Law School. Also, go ahead and if you have a moment and you enjoyed this episode and my other episodes with Tanya, 
Give us a five-star review so that we can get the word out there about the Law School Lounge podcast. And of course, if you'd like, give us a follow at Law School Lounge on both Twitter and Instagram to stay up to what we're doing over here in the lounge. And if you have any requests for future episodes, please do not hesitate to send me an email at lawschoolloungepod at caplaw.com. I'd love to hear from you. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.